So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Pop Culture Podcast. I'm Tyson Popplestone coming at you with a uh, with a brand new haircut. As you, you can sort of see it in the in the video, but you can't quite tell because usually I, I like to have a little bit of hair gel in just to make myself look pretty for you guys. But today, for whatever reason, I've, I've got the gel in, but it just hasn't come up as well as what it usually does. And, and it usually comes up exceptionally, which to be fair, still leaves me in a pretty good position. I mean, if it's usually exceptional and I'm not quite happy with the state of it today, that still means it could be potentially very good. I'll let you decide. But nonetheless, it is a brand new week here. It is a Tuesday afternoon in Victoria. Actually, it's a Tuesday afternoon all across Australia, to be fair, in many places around the world. Even in uh, New Zealand, it would be, what are they, are they four hours ahead of us? Okay, so it's it's going into early evening. But definitely in Victoria, it's, it's afternoon. Western Australia, it's just ticked across afternoon. I'm trying to cover as many of the bases as I can. I'm not 100% sure what the time is where you are unless you're in Oregon where it's last night. And uh, I know that because my, my sister-in-law has just gone into labor. She shot us a message and said, hey, there's a lady next to me. She's absolutely screaming her tits off and she's making me very nervous. I said, well, you should remember how it feels because you, you gave birth to a child. And that is going to be you. She's being induced. So I hope it all goes well. Uh, last time she had a baby, uh, we got it was it was her first child. I was excited. She was excited. My wife was excited. We were all talking. And, and midway through the conversation, she said, Hey, uh, Sam, her husband, he recorded a video of me having the baby. Do you guys want to see it? And the curiosity got the better of me. And naturally, I said yes. And then I've, I've never actually, my wife had a C-section. So I've never seen a baby come out of a vagina before. And, and to be fair, I probably, I think I, I overreacted with my response. I overcommitted and, and then I saw it happen and, you know, there, every part of me regretted it. I don't like seeing that kind of thing. I'm not interested. I wish I didn't see it. And it also, I feel like it skipped about 15 bases between our, our usual level of, of conversation and, and what it was that I was exposed to. Now, uh, I'm not here to, to give a breakdown on exactly what I saw, but but I, yeah, I saw the whole thing is essentially what I saw. You don't need to be a genius to to know exactly what that means. I, I you know I saw I saw full frontal. It was intimidating, and, and, and as a result, I guess that my sister-in-law and I, uh, I guess naturally we're closer now. It's weird the way she justified it. She said, "I I think of it more as a medical procedure because if she was in the shower." She would never let me into the bathroom. I don't think, I've never tried it, but I've, I've never tried it based on the fact that I'm quite sure I know where she stands. And as a married man, and speaking about my wife's brother's wife, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even think about doing that. And, and I haven't until right now, actually. But it is strange, like the, what's acceptable when there's still some drugs in your system, when there's, uh, you know, some heightened emotions involved, is, is not the same as what's acceptable when there's when there's not. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, to watch a baby come out of a vagina is obviously, it's a unique situation. But I've, I've never even asked, firstly, because I don't want to go. I've never even thought about asking my wife if I just go and see a stranger shoot a ping pong ball out. Because I, I think it's highly inappropriate to, to look at a woman like that, especially when you're married. I shouldn't really compare Crystal's baby to a, a ping pong ball, but I'm just trying to I'm trying to find the right analogy to to use, but I can't find it. And here we are, here we are. So we're we're four minutes into the podcast now, and I've already bought a graphic image to you. I, you know, I, I really need to start giving out content warnings because if you're driving right now trying to enjoy a lasagna, I'm not saying it looked like a lasagna. I'm just saying that if a lasagna is the food, which I I, I just think. I don't know. A, a lasagna just seems to be the the right right food for choice. I was going to say taco, but I mean that's a commonly used metaphor. It's a commonly used example to speak about a, as a comparison. You know what? I, maybe we should move on. We should move on because you start talking about tacos, and the example that I'm talking about now would be, you know, if all the if all the beans and rice jumped out of the taco, that's what that's what childbirth is essentially. But hey, I didn't make it up. Have a chat to God if you. If you're upset about the design, I, uh, I, you know, I didn't even have a say in it. In fact, honestly, I think if it was up to me, I would make the rule that you could just sneeze and it could fly out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just comes. 
what's stopping the the fragments of your saliva coming together and, and making that the baby? That seems like if you've if you've got a, a clean slate of infinite options as to how childbirth looks, maybe you could use your imagination a bit more and not expose husbands from all around the world, uh, you know, to such a graphic scene. My friends always say as well, they go, you know, Tasha, your mindset will change. Like if you're if you're in that situation, let me just check here. I thought the battery had just died already. I got nervous. Said if you're if you're in that situation, your curiosity will get the better of you. It won't. It won't, because curiosity got the better of me with my sister-in-law's video. And I went to a funeral of an uncle's a few years ago, and I remember it was an open casket. And and ever since then, I was like, ah, I didn't need to see that. You know, I got plenty of good memories of the guy. I didn't need to. I didn't need to see what he looks like when he. He just looked like he's asleep. Do you know what I mean? But the life's been the life's been taken out. I I, I kind of have similar vibes with the birth video of my sister in law. Like, ah, probably didn't need to see it because now every time I say hello to her, all I all I see is a baby's head coming out of a vagina. Do you know? Not literally. She's not constantly pregnant, and not wearing any pants. But you know, when you've been you've seen someone in a certain situation, maybe it's a kid at primary school. They used to always wee his pants and, and then you see him down the street when he's 33 years old with his daughter, his wife, and you, and you just go, hey, Peter. But all you can see is a wet patch around his willy and, and remember yourself teasing him. And I, I didn't have the right to be teasing anyone because Peter was bigger than me, but I was fast. I think that's what I used in my favor. My speed always worked out for me. I didn't tease him too much. I think it was just once or twice. It's hard when you're a kid as well because cause you get peer pressured into teasing people, I think. You can't be... Even still, this is horrible. Last night I was I was walking my little boy down at the beach, little Charlie boy, and and a lady a lady with like a I'm not sure I'm not sure what it was I'm not sure what was going on, but there's something off. There was something off, and she was she was attracting a lot of attention to herself, and and she was she was a very hairy woman. She is uh, uh you know I think she must have come out of I'm gonna say Greece I, I reckon Greece. I think there was there was maybe something missing a little bit. It wasn't you know there wasn't a hundred percent, you know, put together solid. There was there was something off, and I was there with my little boy, and she was super interested in my little boy, which was great. It was beautiful. But then then people started to come down to the beach, and it, she was so close to us, and she was she kept telling she kept telling everyone that walked past, "I'm clucky," and then people started to say, "Oh, you want to have another one?" And I was like, "No, we're not we're not together." She's not my wife. This is not her kid. And she's like, ah, ha, ha. she's like, we should just pretend that it's ours. And I was like, my, I don't want to. And so people would keep coming pa- past, and they'd go, hey, you've got a beautiful kid. And she'd go, thank you. And I'd say, stop it, because they know me. They know this is my kid. A lot of these people have have never met my wife, so now they just assume that you're my wife. You feel horrible when you say stuff like that, but it's true. I, I was I was trying to distance myself from her because, and then she started telling me she's like, I got a boyfriend, you know, and I've also got a stalker. I said, Hey, it's good, you know, you're doing good if you've got your stalker. Like if you've got a stalker, I feel like a stalker is obviously it's a statement about the. It's a man. It's a man doing the stalking. I'm going to say 95% of the cases. If you're a woman and you've got a stalker, there's obviously something you've done while you're either famous or incredibly good looking. So I think I think you can't. Just walk along a street telling people that you've got a stalker and not be using that as a humble brag. I would only ever stalk someone I found attractive. That's just me personally. I've never done it, but I'm saying if I was to take up the habit, I wouldn't start. I wouldn't start stalking women. I was, I was, or men that I was unattractive. Let's stick for women because I'm a heterosexual man. Do you know what I mean? 100% hetero. Not 100%. Surely not. I reckon 85. I'm 85% heterosexual. I reckon there's 15% of me that recognizes a really good-looking man, and I go, okay, well, if I had to cuddle a man, I'd I'd comfortably cuddle that guy. It's usually the European-looking guys as well. It's uh, I'm not 100% sure what it is. It's maybe the confidence factor. If they if a person's rocking a certain level of confidence, you don't need to be the best looking, do you? You just need to have that confidence. You need to have that charisma. I know. I used to work with a bloke they called Mango, in in South Australia. He wasn't the best-looking guy, but man, he had charisma like like I'd never seen before. And his ability to to get the ladies was was quite incredible because you would walk in, you probably wouldn't notice him. He's a big Greek guy, had a solid nose on him, 
But then he started talking. He was charming. He was confident. He's a little bit, hey, hand on your shoulder. A little bit, hey, these shoes look fantastic. Hey, have you lost weight? But he said it, you know, you know how some people speak in a way that's creepy and some people speak in a way that's natural. He, he did it fully natural. He had the ability just to be able to communicate with women in a way where even if they had zero interest in him, in, in him when he, uh, I battled to get through that little part, didn't I interest in him? Even if they had zero interest in him when they came into the store, it was a, a running store, which is even less attractive. When they first got there, they would see him, go, eh, there's a shoe salesman. By the end of it, they were like, it's a potential spouse. I wonder what our children would look like. Uh, he's getting phone numbers. I remember one day a, a steeplechase runner came in Georgia, and uh, he was he was my boss. Nikki Mango was my boss. And I remember one day she came in, and I was, I was interested. I... I Said, oh my gosh. So she put her order in. And as a, as a result, so they put their order in. She had to order some shoes. I said, I'll get your details. And, and when they come in, I'll, uh, I'll give you a phone call and let you know they're here. And I'm not sure. I think this is against a lot of laws. But when she wrote her number down, I put it in my phone. And that night, I texted her. And I said, hey, it's Tice from the, the shoe store. How you going? I, you know, I thought we had a little bit of chemistry. Long story short, the text message was, was, it was responded to very well. Uh, there was chemistry. I read the situation correctly. And then I said, well, how about, I've, I've got a shift tomorrow afternoon. How about, I'll have a chat to Nicky Mango. He'll understand the fact that I've got a crush on you. He understands what it's like putting in the hard work for a lady that you like. He'll let me go 15 minutes early. Meet me there. We'll go, we'll go get a coffee. So she, she got to my work 15 minutes early. I said to Nicky Mango, mate, here's the situation. This is Georgia. She's, uh, she's beautiful. I've got a little crush. Do you mind if I go get a coffee? He goes, mate, your shift's not done. I said, I beg your pardon? He goes, your shift's not done. I said, oh, no, it's not done, man, but there's no one in the store. And and this is my time to shine. Like I've, I've watched you work your magic over the last six months and, and now it's my time to try and work my magic. Can you please give me the, this opportunity? And then he wouldn't, he wouldn't budge. So I had to go and say to Georgia, I'm so sorry. Are you able to go and wait in your car? You're more than welcome to wait here. But I think he's upset about the fact that I've got your number. Well, I, I didn't technically get your number. I did it for a work purposes and I've, I've used it illegally to contact you, but you know it went quite well. Thank God that went well. Can you imagine how... I can't even imagine doing that now, but that's 19-year-old that's blood for you. 19-year-old blood goes, okay, I'm a single man. There's an attractive woman. It's always been the European girls. I don't know what it is. It's the, the Eastern European looking, like the dark feet. My wife, dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin. I go, oh, hello. And, uh, and, and she fit that category. Imagine as a 19-year-old guy messaging a girl from the work computer's database and, and her messaging back going, look, this is highly unprofessional, <laughs> which, to be honest, I'm sure has happened more than once. How has that not happened? That would have been an automatic firing for me. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I wasn't the best employee either. I used to always go to the back computer and try and, try and look at MySpace. I've never been a good employee. I don't know, I don't know what it is about me. I, I just really struggle. I really struggle with that. My auntie at Christmas Day told me I was entitled and I said, maybe that's right. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. She said I was entitled because I didn't want to get the vaccine. So I'm not sure if that correlates into every area of life or even if the argument stands up. Personally, I don't think it does. But I think that's a, I think maybe it is entitlement, the reason that I'm not a good employee. I know some people, my wife, she's a fantastic employee. She loves going, she was a teacher. She loves going into a staff room and banter with her friends and having a laugh and having a joke and then going to do her work. And she's very, uh, you know, she's disciplined with her arrival times and exit times. And I'm pretty good with that kind of stuff, but it's just a commitment to the cause. I was a teacher and man, it was, it was bad for me. It was bad for the kids. It was bad for my bosses. Everyone was uncomfortable. Had kids messaging me on Instagram going, hey, you're my favorite teacher. Me going, messaging back going, damn right. <laughs> what other teacher messages back on Instagram? Then their parents message me going, hey, stop messaging my kid. They're year seven. That never happened. It actually never happened. But I did. I did have kids message me a couple of times on Instagram and I, I didn't respond out of professionalism because they were primary school kids and I didn't want to have my I didn't want to have my profile on private. That's weird. It's like what am I what have I got to hide? But I remember it, it's so it's so strange. I was a 33-year-old man. This is a year and a half ago. So it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. I was at a school, uh, Kingswood College was the name of the school. Beautiful new teacher came in. She was the principal, I think, actually. Amy Lovell, lovely, lovely lady. I, I, I wanted more than ever just to make sure that her start to the job was good. 
And then, but it's hard because on a communication level, we're fantastic. Hey, Amy, how you doing? Hey, good, Tyson. She wrote me a Christmas card, beautiful words. But then there's a fine line because you can't just get by on, uh, hey, how you going? Happy Christmas, can you? You have to actually make sure the work's being done. And she was responsible for keeping me accountable. And because I didn't have my Instagram account on private as an employee of the school, she had to make sure that what the parents were seeing if they went onto my page was was acceptable. And and that was one thing I didn't have a great interest in. I hate that. I hate that uh, pretending to be something you're not. I'd much rather, I understand you got to, like you need to put boundaries on what it is that you're doing. You need to put boundaries on on what you're saying, on how you're speaking. I get it, like to an extent. But I, do, I think I disagree sometimes with where that line's at. So I had a photo up on Instagram. It had a photo of me with my, my dog and my wife camping. I said, hey, here's me and my two bitches. <laughs> Camping with my two bitches, which is hilarious. Like, that's funny, isn't it? Are you laughing now? I'm very uncomfortable if you're not. I'm sorry. I, th- I thought I had a better sense of humor than I did. That wasn't even the one that got me in trouble. I remember I had a photo of my wife because I used to always come back and I said to Jesse, hey, babe, look, I've got all these emails to catch up on. I don't, I don't know. Like, is it in draft folder? Is it in inbox? Is it being sent? How, can you just decipher these emails to me? Explain to me what needs to be done and I'll just do the practical steps because the teacher talk was one I never fully understand. There was always, it was never just, hey, guys, can you please do these three steps? It was always, hello, fellow staff members, after our liaison this afternoon, uh, the decision to contribute to the overall contribution of the national curriculum plan has been decided and it's been extended to the 24th of February. Um, so uh, if, if you all concur, here, here, uh, let's develop the plans to progress. What they were saying is, guys, follow these three steps. But it's weird because there's a certain way that you talk when you're at work. You use, you start using word. You start using a ten dollar word when, as the minimalists say, a one dollar word is suffice. And before you know it, you get to the end of the email and you go, "Okay, am I am I retarded, or is this just a blatant overcomplication of a very simple instruction?" A lot of the time, I think the truth was it was it was there was a, perhaps an element of of you know me being the retard, but there was also an element of me. Of the of the teachers overcomplicating, and so so my wife used to always just read through the emails because she had an incredible ability to be able to decipher what was actually being said, what was actually being asked for. And I took a photo of her and posted it on Instagram, saying, "This is my wife doing my work emails because administration is ridiculous." <laughs> Which you got to laugh when you say it because it's an embarrassment to yourself not to. I can't say that with sincerity in my heart, because I understand that that you probably work for a company where that kind of behavior is totally unacceptable. And I've noticed that most people who are employees, which is completely fine, respectable employees look at that and they go, you would never get hired at my business. And I'll say, well, bravo to your boss. He's a smart man. Oh, she's a smart woman. It's 2022. You know, who am I to say the boss is a man? Who am I to say the boss is even a woman? Maybe it's someone who identifies as something completely different. confusing though and I remember she had to pull me aside and then at the end of the year she pulled me in she said hey Tice uh, when I took this role actually I, I took this role to accept your position as well so there's there's going to be no position for you here next week next year I said are you making up stories and she said no but I could tell by the way she was saying it she was politely firing me but what was what was so frustrating about the situation was about a month before that conversation took place I had emailed her to say hey Amy I'm actually not going to be around next year I'm moving to Point Lonsdale uh, which is where I am now. My services will no longer be offered, and I never got a response. And I thought, ah, it's weird. I thought I thought it would have been a more of a dramatic response. I thought there would have been some tears, maybe a little bit of disappointment, maybe a little bit of upset. She just didn't get it. She didn't open it. And uh, I said, Amy, did you get my email a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago? She goes, No, I didn't. I said, Well, I've already quit. I said, So you've this is one of those awkward movie situations where I've quit, but you've just fired me. She's like, oh, oh, this is awkward. And I said, oh, can we just go with the fact that it was actually my email that ended this relationship, not this conversation? She goes, Tosh, you're not being fired. I said, Amy, I'm, I am being fired. You're just a lovely person. And so since then, thank God for both employers and in, for myself, I, I haven't had to... I haven't had to go through any of those awkward conversations, but I don't know how people I don't know how people navigate that. I always struggle in meetings as well because I'm about efficiency. I like to be able to go, get a meeting done, find out exactly what needs to be done, what the next practical steps are, and then hey, move on. It's four PM, 
You go home, do your exercise, relax. We were, I was in a teaching situation with, uh, who was it? There was one, two, three, four women. There was four women, and these guys had been teaching together for years. Uh, I was going to say the average age was older, but that's not true. There's a graduate, she was 24. There was Ruth, she must have been 30. She would have been around my age. Then there was Heather. I reckon Heather was, I don't know, I'll put her, I'll put her early 50s to be generous. She could have been mid-50s. It's always hard to tell. Heather was lovely. She was. We got on really well when I first got to the school as well, and then I think she realised that um, you know, outside of just general conversation, the job that I was employed to do probably wasn't my my best task. But the thing was, every week we had a we had a week uh, a weekly meeting just to touch base and talk about certain things. And during lockdown, it was uh, it was interesting because I think people had just missed social gatherings. They had missed being able to catch up and have a chat. I was all about look. I got heaps of things to do, so I want to I want to get on here. I want to spend fifteen minutes if we can, and then move on with the rest of my day. But we would get on, and then. 15 minutes in, I was like, okay, well, someone's still not in the meeting. And and it wasn't just a, all right, well, let's just get started and fill them in later. It was like, no, no, let's be respectful and wait. And I'm going, hang on a second. So we're 15 minutes into this meeting now and uh, and we haven't even started. And then, I'm not kidding, there was a couple of meetings where I remember one, we got, we got about 45 minutes into it and we still hadn't started. And, uh, and it was sort of awkward because I was a new kid at school. I wanted to be nice. I wanted to be respectful. I was trying to give him a polite hurry along. I was trying to say, "Hey, um, I've got so many things outside of this that I'd rather be doing." But how do you say that politely? And uh, and so I didn't. I just copped a sweet. That meeting went for two hours twelve minutes, and it, it just got a little bit too much. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I wasn't the best employee, but I mean, there was there was plenty of room for improvement on both sides. I've I've got to be honest. Anyway. It's just the way it is. That's the uh, that's the workforce for you. Maybe I need to get back there and, and humble myself, become a little bit less entitled. Uh, see how we go. Anyway, I don't want to rant too much. Right, let's get to some good news. I reckon the good news is I found out some great news today. That is, though Donald Trump got kicked off Twitter, uh, Vladimir Putin's still on there, which is good. So Vladimir Putin's still uh, still on Twitter. It's interesting how you, you can be misinterpreted as saying something or you can say something which is taken on by a bunch of, of Muppets. Um, but then you can actually encourage your army to invade a country, but that's not against Twitter's community guidelines. <laughs> so I feel like there's not a whole heap of consistency going on, but it's a wild bird. I tell you, that bird does not give a shit. He just, he's got funny taste in people. That's what I always said. You know, he didn't like Trump, but he, you know, he might be a Russian bird. He could be a little Russian bird. It's hard to know for sure. I get nervous as well. I've got to pay more attention to this because I keep getting strikes on my videos. They keep saying I'm saying the wrong things and I have to message them back. I'm like, hey, I didn't say what you said I said. <laughs> so anyway, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's hard to keep up with, uh, it's hard to keep up with, what do they call them? The thought police, the speech police. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but what a wild, what a wild week it's been, huh? It's a really, it's a really crazy thing to watch to watch like a war break out in, in real time. I always think, like I know there's wars going on around the world, but it's weird when mainstream media covers it to a big degree because all of a sudden it's it's just hot topic. COVID's been forgotten about, really. All of a sudden Victorians, where I live, uh, we're going on about how important it is to help our people remain there, retain their freedom, which I, I totally agree with. But the problem is the last six months, if you're not double vaccinated in Victoria, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a cafe, um, you're not supposed to go to like a bar or a pub, you can't go to the gym, you're not allowed to work. And then all of a sudden, the guy who's made these rules is saying, hey, but we've got to look after our Ukrainian friends and we're going we're gonna to put together something for them to encourage them to come to Victoria for safety. But prob- problem with that is there's only... There's a 70% unvaccinated rate in Ukraine, which I, I don't care about. But it's interesting that all of a sudden there, there's so many people who over the last six months have have been really seen, uh, really keen to see me without the vax not be able to do things. Not just me, like I think there's maybe 700,000 people or 500,000 people in Victoria. And now all of a sudden it's, no, but these guys can these guys can come over because COVID is a threat, Sure. It's a threat and it's dangerous. If you're unvaccinated, you're a you're a threat to the rest of the community. All right, but if you're a Ukrainian and you're unvaccinated and you're fleeing war, then you're safe to come to our country. Because well, 
because we don't really believe with what it is that we're telling everyone else to do. So there's stop trying to look for consistencies in arguments here because it's getting quite frustrating. You're actually doing my head in with your little attempts to find consistency. So I don't know, how do we justify that? Do we just let do we just let people fleeing war who are fully vaccinated into our country? Is that the answer? That seems silly. I mean, Novak Djokovic couldn't come here because he's unvaccinated. Yeah, but he's not fleeing a war zone. I know, but he wasn't allowed here because he was unvaccinated. That was the, that was the reasoning. And, and so if, if people are allowed to come in here, though they're unvaccinated, does the fact that they're fleeing a war zone make any difference to us? I don't know. I'm asking questions. I genuinely... Like, mate, I, there's a reason I'm, I'm not a political leader because I don't have the answers. I'm not convinced a lot of them do either, but I mean, that's, that's a topic for another day. Anyway, it's been, it's so intense to watch though. I always heard rumours about Putin. I always heard he was a, a bit of a feisty character. I heard he was from the KGB, but I thought, ah, oh, come on. Look, he's a little bald man. Just sitting there in his little office, all quiet. He's lovely. And then the rest of the world's put sanctions on him. He's sent his Russian troops into Ukraine to take over to bring back the Soviet Union. It's like, oh, gee, I misread that. I always, I always thought I was good at, at, uh, at picking a kind of character a person was as well. I'd go out and I'd go, hmm. Look, I know you think that particular person's a good person. Truth is, though, is he's not, and I'll tell you why. And then I'll go and break it on down for him. I'll say, hey, you know, I could tell just by the colour of his eyes that he's got some dirty, dark secrets. It turns out, it's, it's, it's interesting what you can convince yourself of, isn't it? I convinced myself that I knew Putin really well, that he was just misunderstood. I convinced myself that... Um, that Biden was fit for president for a little while as well. I mean, I convinced myself of all kind of crazy shit. Convinced myself that my wife couldn't have done better. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. I didn't have to convince myself. I knew for a fact that she'd hit the jackpot. And now, uh, 11 years in, it's just a matter of convincing her that that is actually true. Do you know what I mean? I don't need the convincing. She needs she needs the convincing. Anyway, I um, I went out for a, I went for a 12K run yesterday. I... I haven't ran 12K for a little while, but the other day I went to Rebel Sport, picked myself up a, a new pair of Nikes, and uh, had a chat to a mate that night, and he was telling me that he went for a 15K run the day before, average 4.37 pace, so I was just going to go out for a 7K run, and uh, I went out, and I found this new run that I like to do, there's a really good run that goes out along a rail trail here, and I thought, uh, what I'll do, I'll just, I'll go out for a few K, see how I feel. Anyway, every now and then you have those days where things just click a little bit. So I got to 4K, I thought, oh, okay, I'll get to 5. Then I got to 6K, I thought, oh, you know what, that's probably plenty because by the time I run back, that's a, that's a nice little 12K. But always, every now and then, you runners out there or you athletes out there, you're going to know this feeling. You get to a certain point in your run and you go, I actually... Uh, I actually feel fantastic. You get a little bit of flow state. So I've got to be careful because I always make big decisions when I get into the middle of flow state. I, 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 so yesterday, I'll tell you for a fact, I looked at my split at 8K, ran 4.35 or something. I thought, oh, actually, I'm feeling pretty cruisy here. Then I start making all these big decisions like I should go back and run a marathon because I ran a marathon in 2018 and, oh, my gosh, it was it was appalling experience. I, I fully appreciated what people who talk about hitting the wall had gone through. I always heard people talk about hitting the wall or saw them collapse on TV, and I thought, man, these guys are pussies. I can't believe they are. I can't believe they're just going to fall over just as an excuse to, to get out of this race. But then I got I got about halfway through the race, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm flying. I'm back. Distance running is my background. I was thinking, Haley Gebra Celesi, Paul Turgat, watch your back. Ali had Kipchoge, you got nothing on me. I don't care that you broke two hours for the marathon. I'm going for two hours 45. I actually went for two hours 40, which was ridiculous because I hadn't even done, like the, the key ingredient of a marathon trainer, or the key ingredient of a marathon runner is make sure you get out for your really long runs. You can't just be rocking up to the start line with the longest run of 30K up your sleeve and go, I'll figure out the last 12K. I learned the hard way. I got, to, I got halfway through that race, 21Ks, and I was thinking, mate, I'm back. This is the easiest event that I've ever tried. I can't believe I thought I could only run 240. I got to 25k, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got 17k's left, and that feels like a long way in a car sometimes. You ever have those days where you're in a car and you're 17k's from home, but you've been in the car for an hour and a half, you just want to get that, that 17k's feels like a long way. I had that thought going through my head, and what I realised, it's a lot longer when you're running and you've hit the wall and you've got no carbohydrates, and you don't really have any cheer squad out there, and you're running by yourself, and you know, your dad's going to be at the 30K mark cheering for you because he's seen you at the halfway mark 
and he saw how good you were looking. He thought, hey, mate, this is going to be a big day for my boy. And then he sees you hobbling past, <laughs> getting, getting out. I remember with about 4K to go, like a 60-year-old lady ran past me and encouraged me. And I thought, okay, that's a sign that things haven't gone so well today. It's a tough event, though. I got a new respect for, for the Ironman event as well, especially in the ocean swim. A 3.6K swim, even in a pool with no sharks, is exhausting. But a 3.6K swim in an ocean with a fear of sharks is, is even more terrifying. Especially here in Australia, there was a first deadly shark attack in, what was it? Apparently, I think it was like 50 years just the other day. A scuba diver got, got chomped up. The poor bugger, he's, he's a, a pretty young fella. And you've got you to gotta swim in this kind of water. I live, at, I live at Point Lonsdale, as you guys know, and across the bay from me is Point Nepean. I think that's 3K. And in the middle of the bay, there's like, I think it gets down to 100 metres. Or maybe maybe it's 200 metres of depth. And there's, I know that there's some massive sharks out there. I'm not just making this up. I mean, it's not just me who knows because I have an inkling. It's, it's common knowledge that sharks are caught out there. And I have a friend who, who swims across there once a year. I think swimming's a silly sport. I think swimming's a silly sport, especially because we have boats now. But I guess the argument to that is we've, we've got cars, we've got, well, we've got bikes, so what's the point of running? My own logic fails me live on the pop culture podcast, but, yeah, I don't know. What's the equipment? Like, there's nothing really that scary oh, when you're running. I was running out in the bush in Ballarat one day, and, uh, and an angry lab- Labrador ran up to me, and I squealed. It, it turned out it wasn't even ab- angry. It was just excited to have someone in the vicinity who wanted to play. But I was so deep in tears at the time because I thought I would about to be attacked that it was only upon reflection that I realised it was a lovely dog. I went out there with a group of friends a couple of weeks later and, and saw this beautiful dog just running past and I thought, oh, that was the one that I thought thought was attacking me. But even a dog, like I know dogs can do damage, especially if they're big and especially if you're little. But a shark doesn't even have to try really. It's so easy for a shark, especially a decent size, like maybe a gummy shark. A gummy shark, are they named after the fact they have no teeth? They'd have to have teeth, wouldn't they? They'd have to have at least a couple of teeth. What are they going to eat? You can't just be swallowing your prey whole. Can't be good for digestion, even if you are a shark. But a gummy shark is... I guess when you think about it, though, a sperm whale, I don't think they're named because they carry the biggest loads. (laughs) So I probably shouldn't take everything so literally. Because how would that work? You've got gummy sharks. Hammerhead is named after the shape of its head, so maybe I am onto something. Maybe there is a reason that it's called a sperm whale. I, I honestly don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Tiger sharks don't even have spots or stripes, to be more specific. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of research. So I'll get back to you on this one because I, I don't think it's necessary for us to, to look through, uh, you know, to look through entire species of aquatic animals. Are they animals? I don't even know if they're called animals. Anyway, so I had, so I don't, I told you I had a couple of gigs last week. I had two gigs, one at Speakeasy HQ, favorite room to do. It's, it's interesting. The open mic comedy scene is, it's a tough scene to, to be in because at least when you're qualified, when people come to see you as a comedian and they know your stuff, they know your material, it's, it's, it's just easier to get through. But, you know, where I am at Speakeasy HQ, you're there to watch music, you're there to watch magic, you're there to watch dancers. And then I get up and try and tell jokes. And people are like, why are you here? Well, this was such a great night until you got up. I just saw a girl dancing a G-string with tassels on her nipples and she did shakes. I, I, you know, I haven't seen my wife doing 53 years. And now you've got to get up. And well, can't she just do another one? I say, hey, sir. Some things are better to keep to yourself based on the fact that uh, though I'm on stage trying to appear confident, there's a certain element of nerves. And you putting me down in comparison to that beautiful burlesque dance he just saw do a thing after many years of practice still hurts. He goes, I don't, I don't care, man. Just, just tell your funny jokes. And then, and then you make eye contact, eye contact with him halfway through. That can, that can sometimes be the hardest part of stand-up. I reckon if you're new to stand-up, the hardest part is just see yourself uh, saying these jokes and then seeing a particular po- person in the audience just not laughing. But the opposite is true. Like if the whole audience is laughing and you catch one person just giving you a cold eye, it's my favorite thing just to keep making eye contact with that person just to see if they can maintain it. Because it's really hard to maintain eye contact with someone you don't like. And when you're blatantly not laughing, granted, yeah, sure, you might not think I'm funny. That's fine. Lots of people don't. But even me sometimes, words come out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, that is just preposterous. That's ridiculous. 
especially when you're trying to form a new joke. Because often we only ever see comedians when they're at their peak. We see them when they're when they're recording their specials. We see their good stuff. But the truth is that there's that there's a lower level equivalent for your ability uh, than whatever the highest level that you perform at is. Does that make sense? So if you're performing at Madison Square Garden, there's clubs all across America that you might still get paid to do it. But in comparison to Madison Square Garden, it's a it's like a little mouse house. You're just there to perform to to what feels like the equivalent of a couple of people. But you've got to go and try your new stuff somewhere. So I, I often I had someone I had someone say to me a while ago that they went and saw Chris Rock at the comics at the comic store in uh the comedy store in LA. They said it was horrific. He's just lost his ability. And I thought, oh, that's a bummer. Like Chris Rock's lost his ability. And I just I took it at, at word at mouth value. What's it called? Face value. And then I saw his special. I thought, hang on a second, this guy is just incredible. This is some of the funniest comedy I've ever seen in my whole life. You go, ah, oh, okay. So they're just trying to find their feet. And man, there's so much finding your feet in the comedy world. It's so it's so hard to get on stage. Here's the thing. Getting on stage and getting to the end of a punchline where people are supposed to laugh and all they do is look at you like, I, I cannot fathom what part of this guy's brain he thought was going to be funny in what he just said. It's so humbling. At least with a new joke, if you get to the punchline and you get a little giggle, you go, okay, well, it looks like there's something to work with. Sometimes you just get dead silence, crickets. It's just an awkward tension in the audience and someone's like, somebody say something. So it's at that point either I have to try and smoothly escape the fact I just bombed on that joke or a heckler attacks me personally for the fact that I'm a failure at comedy and it's never going anywhere. It's a, it's about a 50% success rate for me to quickly just move on with the set. It's 50% to the audience. But... And, and like the the hardest thing actually the man you ever you, you get a good heckle. I remember one time I was doing a joke about Asian drivers, which is questionable content, and I I bombed so hard. There were some Asian people in the back of the room, and and I was embarrassed, and no one could make eye contact with me, and I was looking at the floor, pretending I was just checking out my fingernails, and then the MC got up, and he uh he goes, oh, don't worry, not all white people are shit comedians. <laughs> Just that guy, and I was like, oh, and it, and it got the it brought the house down. It was it was one of the the biggest laughs I've ever seen at an open mic comedy room, and I thought, wow, well, I'm a I'm a complete I'm a complete failure. And the rest of the audience agreed, and uh, they just laughed and laughed and laughed at that comment. And sometimes uh, it's hard when you think an audience just doesn't want to laugh, and then someone gets up and makes a joke about you, and they piss themselves. <laughs> That's the hardest part. Well, it's the hardest part at the start, and then you get used to it, and you start to realize that comedians are the best. You know, a lot of comedians are the best. It's all, it is a weird scene, though. Like, yeah, It's very clicky. I guess every part of life is clicky, though, isn't it? You, you get your comedians who are like, no, you can't joke about that. I had a guy message me once, right? And he goes, uh, hey, Tyce, I was just wondering if you're going to you know, eliminate that Asian material from your, from your set list. I said, oh, why is that? He goes, it's just highly offensive and a lot of people don't like to hear about that. I heard this same bloke get up on stage a couple of weeks later and talk about how he's a vegetarian, but he's gay and he would eat horse cock because what's his biggest value? Is it is it the fact he's a vegetarian or is he more committed to being gay? And I thought, well, that's that seems worse than talking about Asian drivers, isn't it? Talking about, talking about eating horse cock. <laughs> that's not something that that I talk about with my friends on a regular basis. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying you shouldn't. Yeah, I I heard about a place. I don't know if I should talk. This one's a this one. I heard about a place in Mexico, right? Block your ears if you've got kids in the car. Well, you shouldn't be listening to this with kids in the car, to be fair, because the content that we cover here is uh, it's quite inappropriate. There's a there's a place in in Mexico. I, I don't know the name of the place. But apparently, one of the one of the biggest forms of business that 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 town sees is, is they see tourists come in, and watch women make. Can you call it making love? Making love to a pony. People come in. He goes some, the documentary. They said some some people come in because they're genuinely interested, and some people come in because they just can't be in the town and not see it. It just it has to be seen. And. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't. I, man, I stopped watching porn in two thousand and eight. But I reckon there should be a general consensus that that I reckon if you're going to watch porn, it has to be between two people or two animals. You can't start mixing. You can't start mixing them together. That's where. <laughs> is that? That's a joke idea. Is that funny? Can you let me know if that's a funny joke? 
I feel like a lot of it depends on delivery. And I told a mate the other day that joke, and he goes, eh, we'll have a fiddle with it. I thought, all right, I'll do my best. It sounds like i got a lot of work to do. But but that's true about the documentary and about, about the first part that I told you. How disgusting is that? That's a... Uh, people are people are very interesting people are interesting you always say hey follow your curiosity but i feel like there's some places where you shouldn't follow your curiosity if you're following your curiosity into a, a barn in some part of mexico to, to watch a lady make sweet love to a, a beautiful pony i feel like that's the point where you say uh that's a point where you say no i'm not i'm not so interested and then the other gig i did last week um just a just a little room for four people in the audience one of the most embarrassing things to do is is to perform with a microphone on a stage with a spotlight on you in front of four people because the four people that are there are sitting there thinking why why is the room so empty firstly why is no one here why have we paid to tickets why have we paid for tickets and the you know first of all there's no one else here to see it what have what have we missed and then you get up on stage and you you try and be you try and be super social you try and be super friendly but the people are like, man, why don't you just pull up a chair? Put the microphone down, pull up a chair, tell me what jokes you're going to say on stage. It just it feels a little bit like overkill. But you can't because you're committed to the scene, you're committed to the look. Stand-up comedy is about being on a stage with a mic telling you jokes. I can't be sitting down at your table telling you jokes. It'll feel like a waste of a trip to Melbourne. That went pretty well. I thought I was funny. I got up and celebrated the fact that the, the, the vaccine mandate ended in Melbourne on Friday. A guy yelled out, oh, the vaccine mandate hasn't ended. I said, like, oh, well, I shouldn't be here. Our little secret. That was good. That was just a little cheeky opener to get the get the bald guy in the front row up and about. He seemed pretty happy with it, but... Hmm. I'm just trying to see. Uh, I've got so many notes written down today. There were so many things that I wanted to talk to you guys about, but uh, oh, that was one thing. Yeah, I, I think... I think the comedy scene's easier if you're a drinker. And I say that because what a lot of people do, and even myself on, on the odd occasion, is you'll go out, you'll have a couple of drinks, you'll loosen up a little bit, you start to feel good, you start to think you're a little bit better looking than you are, you start to think you're a, bit, a little bit funnier than you are. The judgment of the audience doesn't seem as uh, as penetrating to your heart as as what it would be when you're, when you're sober, but... I'm not a social drinker. A lot of a lot of my friends just like to have a drink in their hand just so they don't look out of place. But I, I don't know. I've never really understood it. I've never really understood it. I went through a phase. Year 12, actually, was the first night I ever actually had a had a proper crack at getting drunk. And it was I was an embarrassment because I was, I was 17. No, I just turned 18 years old, and I'd made the decision. At the end of my school year that year, I was, I was going to get drunk. I'd have a few drinks, and I'd just see how we go. I thought it could just be an opportunity to loosen up a little bit. And... I remember everyone in my everyone in my year level was shocked. I don't know how I developed a reputation as being the guy who doesn't drink, but I guess that's what a year of drinking in, of not drinking in year twelve will do to you. And I was there, and they were making me jagger bombs. And I think everyone was excited about the fact that everyone was excited about the fact that I was drinking. That I just I kept doing it more. And then one of my friends came up to me, and her name's her name's Phoebe. She's awesome friend, great friend. We've been friends for a long time, and and she really respected for, uh, me about the fact that I didn't drink. She came up and she's like, "Man, I'm really disappointed in how how much you're drinking." At this stage, I had like a gym beam and a, a Jager bomb in both hands. I was like, "I'm not Phoebe. I'm not. I'm not drinking." I don't know. I just I don't know what it is about the fact that yeah, it never never sat right with me. I've told you about my 2014 New Year's Eve. That's probably a classic example. I get too carried away. I get really excited about the. Uh, I get really excited about the prospects of if you feel this good after two drinks, imagine how great you'll feel after 12. And and that math just doesn't add up because you get to seven and I'm asleep on the couch with vomit on my sweater. Some guys wrote pussy on my head and slapped me on the bum seven times. I don't, I don't, I just don't see the fun in that. But I think as a as a social lubricant, something just to to help your nerves back off a little bit. It's a really helpful tool to have. Surely it's a helpful tool to have. But I also like the fear. That's the, that's a weird thing about comedy. I like the feeling of just being terrified before I get on stage, as long as it goes well. You know, it's funny trying to fake it till you make it. Yeah, you're standing on the side, just ready to get up, do your thing, shitting yourself sometimes. But the audience doesn't want to see a guy get up on stage and, and shit themselves. They want to get to see a guy get up on on stage and pretend, especially if they're paid, pretend that he knows what he's doing. So I've got to convince myself and these other guys that I'm confident. And it's a, you know, it's a difficult task to do from time to time. Depending as well on how drunk the audience is, it can, it can potentially make it easier. 
or harder because heckling's a heckling's much more of a talent to deal with than, than what I ever realized. Before I got involved in comedy, I would watch a heckler and I'd like, that's very funny. And then I'd see the comedian say something funny back. And that's my favorite part of comedy. With the like the comedian, they've actually they've got the microphone. They've got all the tools at their disposal. All they need to do is have a funny call when the heckler yells out. But having a funny call on demand in context, which is relevant to the comment that the heckler just made, it's it's much harder to do than than what you would think it is. <laughs> it's, it's much harder to do than what you'd think it is. And then you, you you get 15 different calls come into your head and you're not sure which one to go with, so you just freeze and that's more embarrassing to you. The rest of the audience looks at you and's like, oh, this guy's underdone. And you, you can't help, you just have to sit there and agree because it's true. <laughs> you can't really argue because the heckler's just owned you in front of a room full of people. And you've tried to be like the comedians you watch all these years, but you, you just get... You get too scattered in your thoughts. I, that's the thing. I've got to. I've got to be minimalist. I, I think minimalism is a, is a calling to me because I I am such a culprit of of overcommitting. I try and everything, every part of my life, I, I overcommit. Like every morning, I wake up and I go, "Oh my gosh, I've got so much to do today." Do you ever ha- do you ever have that? You wake up and you look at your your to do list. It's a novel. <laughs> you look at your to do list. It's a it's like a it's a short encyclopedia. You know, I've got to have this done before 3 p.m. because that's when I'm going to look after Charlie. My wife just wants an hour to herself at that stage if she can have it. So I've got to, I'm not even that quick a reader. It's hard for me sometimes just to read through the, the pages of jobs I set for myself. I've got to back off a little bit. I always function more effectively when I've got less on the list. And, and I, I don't know, I was thinking about this over the last couple of days. I reckon sometimes I, since Charlie was born, man, best addition, but life is so much busier. I used to hear people say that, and I was like, shut up, dickhead. It's fine. Look how many kids there are in the world. And now Jessie's Jessie's pregnant with a second kid. I, go, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is possible. Sometimes I'll come home and there's there's certain giveaways that are that I've been a little bit scattered. I'll have like a pile of clothes next to my bed. I have a pile of clothes that I have to climb over just to be able to it's like a little step ladder into my bed. You roll out of the bed, you fall off, it doesn't even hurt because you've just got 15 jumpers next to it. That's a, that's a dead giveaway for me. My desktop or my, my MacBook computer is a dead giveaway when I've got too much going on because I'll, I'll look at the desktop and I'll go, oh, wow, there's no screen there. That's just all documents. And you can never, I feel like you can never look like a, a, a real professional. You can never look like a real smooth sailor if you've got a, a whole MacBook filled with documents on your back page that you're trying to navigate your way through. Is like you just you look like you just can't really handle anything. Or oh, the kitchen's filthy. I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but the truth is, there's there's just there's times, there's times where I catch myself being a little bit too scattered. There's 15 drink bottles in the car. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm a better husband when I'm not as scattered, though. I reckon. Jesse Jesse likes me more. Do you know what I mean? Because when we're, we're trying to spend time together, I've got a bad habit. When I'm scattered, we'll, we'll sit down to watch a TV show and I'll think about just 15 different things that I had to do during the day and see whether I got them sorted. And Jessie's like, she'll, she'll just throw in a little test for me now. She's like, hey, what's that main character's name? And I go, it's Sally. She's like, mate, it's, it's Andrew. There's no one called Sally in this show. Why would you have guessed Sally for the man? I said, babe, don't be so judgmental. Do you know what I mean? Different horses for different courses. Some people, some people are happy to have a girl's name for a boy. Some people are happy to have a boy's name for a girl. It's 2022, baby. That's what I say to her. And she goes, stop talking. Just watch the show, focus. I say, okay, I will. I will. See how that works out for you. Anyway, I mean, it all it always works out fine, but uh, it just it feels like the right thing to say at the time. I went to the, man, you know what the best thing is? I went to the Comics Lounge the other night. Here in, so we got the, the best comedy room that you can go to here in Melbourne. It's the Comics Lounge. That's where you go if you're any good at comedy in Melbourne. Like, that's where you go to perform. And just the last couple of weeks, I tell you, things have lit back up in that building. I went there the other night. It was a Tuesday night. There was about 600 people there at full capacity. Actually, it was a Friday night, sorry. I saw the great man, Johnny Katz. If you haven't heard of Johnny Katz, Australian comedian, you do yourself a favor. He absolutely bought the house down. He's got the, he's got the funniest joke about uh, having a conversation with his wife about just the, the ways, uh, you know, men and women please themselves differently. She goes, oh, you know, I like when you're out. I like to run a nice warm bath and read, a, read an erotic novel, light some candles, have a glass of wine, you know, and just get myself really in the mood. Maybe 
gradually go off to bed and you know and, and just see how I feel I'll just play it by ear with myself like I just I just want to really create the mood she goes what about you Johnny what do you do like is there anything that you do to get yourself in the mood he's like honey I wanked myself in a tent next to my brother one night <laughs> he goes I was so scared he was going to wake up I had to make eye contact with him the whole time his eyes opened. I said, hey, go back to sleep. It's just a bad dream. you got to be there. It's one of those ones you just have to be there. But he brought the house down. It was, that's one of the that's one of the most beautiful things about stand-up comedy is when you go into a room where people are there, they're paid to go and laugh. I feel like, now this is no discredit to any comedian there that night because Johnny was on fire. He would have he would have brought the house down at a, at a lot of places. But you notice a tangible difference between the audience at an open mic comedy event that they didn't pay to be there and uh, and the comics land. If you haven't been there yet, do yourself a favor. Oh, look here. I've got a confession to make. I've I've started going there a little more because I've got a net, comedy's a networking game a little bit. I, I read the Bob Dylan book the other day. I read the uh, watched the Bob Dylan documentary, No Direction Home, and I'd never really thought about Bob Dylan being the kind of guy who actually had to network. I just thought that the universe just you know just kissed him on the lips a little bit, and he was in the right place at the right time with the right lyrics. But everyone who spoke about Bob Dylan was like, no, no, he was a really good networker. One of his best abilities was to get on uh, at the best rooms in certain places just by knowing the right people. And I thought, oh, my gosh, there's such a correlation. That Here's the thing. You, you don't have to be a genius to watch half an hour of Australian comedians, a variety act. Watch five minutes each for half an hour of a number of different comedians. Not all of them are that funny. This is the crazy thing with, with Melbourne comedy. Sometimes, I've already admitted, sometimes I'm not funny. But sometimes it's about who you know, not not just how funny you are. This is a controversial statement, I think, but it's weird. People, you watch some people get up on stage and you go, ah, wow, I'm not sure. You know someone well. You know someone. I heard that a, a, one of the biggest, so one of the acts on at the Comics Lounge right now, one of the biggest acts is, is I don't know if this is true, He's on because he's the plumber to the guy who owns his house. I don't know if I've just I've, I've heard that wrong or I made it up, but this is the way the world works a little bit, isn't it? Not what you know, but who you know. It seems to it seems to be like that everywhere. I mean, there's there's exceptions to that rule. Obviously, I come from the running background where if you get on the start line to a race, it doesn't matter who you know or what you know. If you don't run the fastest, you know you're not going to win. Unless you know everyone in the race and you've made a deal to fix the race. But I feel like that would be a giveaway because if you go out and win in 1,500 metres at Olympic titles in 4.20 and you've got 10 blokes in the race who can run 3.30, it goes, uh, like that seems a little bit suspect. But but networking, it's an underrated skill, but you've got to be careful not to get sleazy with it. So you know those networkers who, like Instagram, it's just like a network cesspool a, a little bit. Or it's like an over-promotion cesspool now. That's what I hate. Everyone, everyone's an advertiser. Have you have you noticed? Every everywhere I look, I'm advertised at. I can't go. I can't go for like four photos on Instagram without seeing an ad for something. And some of them are so good, I end up buying the product. I think, oh my gosh, I've been sucker punched again. And then I'll scroll through a little bit more and I'll say, oh thank God, it's just a photo of a friend of mine, but they're advertising their podcast. I do it guilty, but I'm just saying I'm sick of it when you do it. But it's just the way that it is. I I like Seth Godin. Seth Godin talks about how you you got to be uh you got to actually be good at what you do. You have to be good at what you do. So good they can't ignore you. I think that's what he says. But that's more of a long term commitment, isn't it? Like that's more of a long term game. You have to be around for a long time for people to start paying attention. It's so much easier just to do a funny video that gets a million views and get known overnight. I mean, I take that route. I would take that route any day of the week. But it looks like, based on YouTube views, it's, uh, it's my only option. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You don't even care about the blue light behind me tonight because you don't watch these videos. I shouldn't have even mentioned the fact my hair's not done. Because you don't care, you wouldn't have seen it. But anyway, I'm going to keep putting it together so that when you wake up, maybe I'm Kanye West, maybe I'm 10 years ahead of the curve. Maybe you guys have got to catch up with me. I'm not convinced it's true, but maybe. Maybe it is. It's hard to say for sure. It's hard to say for sure. But anyway, I um, I went out for a workout today. Here's the thing. I've been enjoying the outdoor workout gyms. You, you can go down there for a while at the moment. The, it's beautiful. The last couple of months, it's been so sunny here. Melbourne summer has, it's really been turned on. It's been a pretty, uh, it's been a pretty good couple of weeks. I went down there just tonight and 
I got down there and just as I was about to start my workout, it absolutely started pissing down. I thought, oh, well, what do you do in this situation? Because there was a few people who were sort of jogging past and there's a few people who were standing there watching. And I thought, ah, oh, I'd love to go home right now and just and you know just hide away from everyone else and maybe go home, have a little have a little play with Charlie before he goes to bed. But it's embarrassing. It's amazing how much public pressure or social pressure can force you to do things that you really shouldn't be doing. I mean, I got friends that I hang out with for a night, and uh, the amount that I don't want to put the the blame on them for any misfortune that I've had in the world of drinking on any particular night. However, it seems to be the same crew that I'm influenced by. Maybe I think I'm publicly pressured too much. I'm publicly pressured too much. I remember uh, I was 19 years old. I had an uncle. We went to the casino one night, and uh, we had a couple of drinks. And he goes, "Hey, hey, Toysi, you want to you want to go to the strippers?" I, I said, "Well, I guess." He goes, "Of course you do." I said, "Okay, uncle, let's do it. Let's go." But then it just kept escalating. But by, by the end of the night, he goes, "Hey, you want to go to the hookers?" I said, hey, whoa, one second. How far away is it? He goes, 10 minutes. I go, okay, beautiful. I was publicly pressured into that. I'm not sure. I don't think I was very much of a hard sell on that one. It's amazing what alcohol can do as well. Just a couple of drinks can, it can really, it can really throw you out a little bit. It's not something I made a habit of though, because you, you leave and you feel dirty, have four showers and you still don't feel like you've, you've quite washed yourself off properly. Not sure you got a you got a weird rash on your your right nipple, wasn't there before you went. You think oh gee I've got a weird rash on my right nipple. What's happening there? And you become a Christian 20, 21, two years later, meet your wife, have to confess about your past. You go all right I got a couple of things I need to tell you before we uh before we seal this deal. She goes all right that's fine. Can you just go get a can you just go get a, is it a sex test an STI? She goes can you go get an STI test? I was so nervous because I was twenty one years old when I met her. I was like far out. What happens here? Like do you what if I? It's it's weird going to get an STI test, especially when you're that age, because I got you got no idea how it works. I just assumed, oh my gosh, now I've had sex, I've probably got AIDS. That was my headspace. I was like, oh no, how am I going to tell her? I got myself all worked up on the way down to the uh, way down to the doctor. I thought, oh man, if I've got AIDS, this is going to be so embarrassing. I don't know. Like I I didn't know how you got it. I just I just knew it was a possibility if you if you have sex the wrong way. And I thought, far out, there's a very good chance I'm doing this wrong. Maybe it's a maybe it's a punishment for doing it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Your technique's not quite up to standard. Bang, AIDS. It's just a. I'm 34 now, so I realise that's not exactly the way that it works. But when you're 19 or 21, it's. A, I mean, there's more questions to be asked than you have answers. In fact, that's probably the truth for your whole life, isn't it? Unless you're that bloke from. I think he was in 1850. Some bloke made the claim that he knows everything that there ever was to know. And then the internet was born, you know, 150 years later, you go, okay, well, he was, I, I had my doubts about that guy. He uh, he seemed like he was saying it with a, I, I didn't know if he was saying it with tongue in cheek, but that's a big call, isn't it? I used to have kids at school that were just so confident about everything they said. Everything they said, they were more confident about than anything I knew. And uh, it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I just realized, oh my gosh, some people are just really good at talking shit. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at it as well with some things, but but just lying, when you lie about something that you just don't know, I don't know how people keep a straight face with that. That's the one that I find a little more difficult. I'm working at it, you know what I mean? As I get older, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work at it, but <laughs> it's not true. I'm a terrible liar. I always get in trouble because I start licking my lips when I do it. I go, I try and tell Jessie something. She's like, babe, have you cleaned the, have you cleaned the bathroom? I go, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I lie about that because all it takes is for her to go into a wee and see it's not clean. So, you know, I'm a bad liar. I don't like the feeling of uh, of when you've got to sit with a lie. I just justify them by saying it's just a little white lie and then it, it, it just bugs me for the next two hours and I've got to confess, I haven't cleaned the bathroom. I never intended to clean the bathroom. I'm not even going to do the dishes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what else? What else did I want to tell you? I'm pretty sure we're, we've covered some serious ground here. I've been listening to the Paul Kelly album this week, Foggy Highway, which is good. Starts off with Stumbling Block. If you haven't heard it, get that one up on Spotify. I don't know if this is an international song. Like I don't know if I went to his concert in London and the the concert in London, it was just it was filled with it was filled with Aussies. He's he's an Aussie hero. He just travels around all around the world to wherever Aussie tourists are. I've, 
It's weird. Like, I, I like Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan appeals to a worldwide audience. But it's funny. Paul Kelly is, is the other guy I could listen to for the rest of my life. But but no one outside of Australia knows him, I don't think. Maybe a couple of people in the UK. But that's just by default from, from rubbing shoulders with a number of Aussies. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's he's good though. Like his concert was one of the best I ever went to. He, uh, so we left this show in London. It was very strange because Paul Kelly, he must be 60 years old and you see him leave the show and you go, oh, like he's, he's probably just going to go home. No one would be interested in him anymore, especially sexually. Like he'll have no groupies that are going to be there. I got there, there was two girls that were about 25 and she's like, oh, you know, I just want to meet Paul Kelly just to see if we're a chance. I go, are you joking? They're like, no, we're dead serious. We're going to have a crack. I go, wow, that's it's just so much confidence. I wasn't there to have a crack. It was just me and those two girls and, and my wife. I was just there to, to shake his hand. And I started to get competitive with these girls. And, and then by the end of it, I thought, oh, you know what? If it's me or them, maybe I'll have a crack. Maybe I will. He's, he's got a beautiful voice and some great songs. He, de he deserves it. Yeah. Nothing ended up happening. He just sat. He must have sat in the green room until he saw us leave. And then he quickly ran out. Disappointing for us, but I mean... Great for him. You'd get sick of all the social interaction, I'm sure. Anyway, Tuesday afternoon, for me and for you, depending on where you are, depending on what day you're listening, but I'm going to sign out because uh, that's quite enough, I think. Anyway, that's it for that's it for me this week. I, I hope you all have a good rest of your week. Big love to you. Big love to your family. And uh, same time next week, I'll see you right here. <laughs>